So tonight, we are going to talk about spiritual gifts. I'm excited to jump into that, but before we do, I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever experienced the power of God? Has there ever been a situation in your life where you can only attribute it to God? Like maybe you're praying for something that just seemed impossible, and then all of a sudden God made a way. Or maybe a friend came up to you and and said, hey, I just feel compelled to share this with you. Does this make any sense? And they share something that just reads your mail and it's exactly what you needed to hear. Has that ever happened for you? It's happened to me a few times in my life. Uh, specifically, I think back to my freshman year here at the University of Northern Iowa. And uh, at Fall Retreat, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, and God called me into, or into full-time ministry. And I began to wrestle with this question of how do I go into full-time ministry? Which is a question that some of you have been considering lately as I've talked with you as God calls people into ministry at different times of their life. Sometimes it's inconvenient, right? But for me, I was considering that question. And at the same time, I heard about this thing called tongues and interpretation of tongues. That sometimes happens in old school churches, it seems like. It doesn't happen as much in our cooler churches, but uh, some of those small town Pentecostal churches, sometimes someone will stand up and speak in tongues and someone else will stand up and interpret it. I heard about this. I'd never seen it happen, though. And, uh, and I heard that specifically at my wife's church, by the time she's my girlfriend, at her home church, it happened like every Sunday. So I'm like, I got to go to this church. I got to see what this is all about. So I go. Uh, it's my first time at the church. And I'm just like sitting there during worship. I'm like, Lord, speak to me through tongues and interpretation of tongues. I want to see this happen. I want to see if it's legit. Like, like, this thing sounds crazy. Is this actually legit? So sure enough, about three songs in, there's a quiet time. The music's kind of playing softly. And then all of a sudden... Some old lady stands up and starts shouting out in tongues. I'm like, what is happening right now? And then I'm waiting. You know, I'm kind of cynical. I'm like, is this actually going to be a message from God? It's probably going to be something vague, like Jesus loves you. But then someone else stands up and interprets the message. And, and it's like, it's crazy. This woman spoke with like perfect grammar. It sounded as if God was speaking uh, just or directly to me, speaking directly through her. And and. I don't remember exactly what she said, but she said something along the lines of, I know you've been worrying about your future. I know you've been considering what you're supposed to be doing right now, and I just want to tell you that I've been there in the past with you. I've walked with you through all of your seasons. I've gotten you to where you're supposed to be, and all you need to do is trust me. And I fell back in my seat. I'm like, that's exactly what I needed to hear in that season. I was wrestling. Should I transfer from you and I? Or should I stay here and be part of Chi Alpha? And at the time, there was some ministry track through Chi Alpha, which there is now. So if you want to go into full-time ministry, I encourage you to do it through Chi Alpha. But at the time, there wasn't such a thing. Uh, so point is, I found peace. I was able to focus on my time at UNI. And about two years later, I did transfer and go to Bible college. But Jesus spoke to me in that moment and helped me to find contentment during that season. I think we all want to encounter God in this way. I think we all want to know that there's someone out there who knows what we're going through, who has it all in the palm of his hand, and someone who cares about us. And not only that, we don't don't only want to know that, uh, that there's someone who cares about us, but we want to hear his voice. And we want to hear what his will is for our life. We want to or to know that he's not only paying attention to us, but that he wants to communicate to us. And And the beautiful thing is God has given us ways to hear his voice 
and ways for us to interact with him today. And, and the primary way is through scripture reading, right? Every morning I hear the, uh, the voice of God through scripture. He speaks right to me through his inspired word. There's also uh, the opportunity to pray and to communicate with God. And sometimes he'll give you impressions or you'll feel uh, just led in a certain way. But the Bible also talks about another way that God communicates with us. It's another way that, that God intervenes in the middle of history and speaks to people. And it's called spiritual gifts. There's a, a plethora of gifts in the Bible that, that God gives the church so that he can intervene in the life of a church and, and perhaps he'll speak a word to the church or speak a word to an individual or he'll heal someone's body which is a sign of the resurrection that is yet to come. Or he'll give someone supernatural faith to believe in something that's impossible. Or he'll give someone a tongue, an interpretation of tongue. These different spiritual gifts that Paul talks about in a couple of different passages in the New Testament. And he never gives us an exhaustive list. He just kind of names some of them. So uh, the suggestion is, is that there's a, a, just a variety of different spiritual gifts that God will give the church to intervene in the life of a church and to speak to it. And so with that said... Tonight, we're going to continue and actually finish our Holy Spirit series. So if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, the first week we talked about friendship with the Holy Spirit, which I just love that message. It's one of my favorite messages to preach. The Holy Spirit wants friendship with you. He doesn't want to leave you on your own. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. But instead, Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit to walk with us, to guide us, to convict us of sin, which is hard at times, to teach us, to comfort us. We talked about that the first week. And then last week, we talked about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is this, uh, or just this experience after salvation where Jesus fills you with his Holy Spirit and gives you power to share your faith. It's an incredible experience. We talked about that. If you want to hear more about that, I encourage you to listen online to the sermon. But now tonight, we're going to talk about the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So that's the title of the message, the gifts of the Spirit. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. We're going to look at a couple different uh, or sections in those chapters. So turn there for me. If we could bring my mic down just a little bit, because I might start, you know, getting a little rowdy here in a few minutes, um, you know, because the introduction's over. Okay. All right. Bring it up. Bring it down. All right. So 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul to this church in Corinth. So here's something important to understand about the New Testament. I think sometimes we read it as if it's uh, this book that fell out of the sky, and it's just God speaking right to us today. But actually, these, uh, specifically these epistles or these letters in the back half of the New Testament, uh, these were actual letters written from a person, and specifically a church leader, to a church, and they're always addressing problems. Typically, they're addressing problems. They're trying to correct abuses within the church. Uh, these letters are not like systematic theology, like saying this is what you need to know about this, this is what you need to, uh, to know about that. Instead, they're, they're actual letters in real space and time addressing real situations. All right, so 1 Corinthians is no different. And just some background on the city of Corinth. Corinth was like the Las Vegas of the ancient Mediterranean world. Okay, so it's this hub where uh, different sailors and merchants and travelers came through and because of this, it led to this becoming a city of excess. It specifically, it led to it becoming a city of sexual immorality and prostitution. It was just this place of excess. And the Corinthian Christians were a product of their culture. See, the church is not completely separate from the culture. The culture gets inside the church at times. And that's what happened in, in Corinth. 
is uh, this lust for excess would get its or seep its way through the church. And, and Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He has to deal with a situation, or it's actually chapter 5. He has to deal with a situation where uh, there's a man who claims to be a believer who is sleeping with a stepmom, and he's not repenting. So like I said, it's a depraved city. It's a depraved church in a lot of ways, and Paul had to deal with that form of excess. But then in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 through 14, he deals with excesses in their worship. So Corinth was getting crazy at church. It's not the type of church you go and you get your coffee, you take a nap during the sermon. Things were getting crazy. People were speaking in tongues all the time. People were giving prophetic messages all the time. They're probably rolling all around on the ground, you know, hanging from the chandeliers. Like that kind of church is what's happening in Corinth. And Paul is seeking to get this worship service in order. He's seeking to correct the excesses. And it's a tension here because Paul is trying to, or trying to correct the excesses while still encouraging them to pursue the Holy Spirit. So it's this tension that you see here. Uh, and tonight we'll read some of these chapters. So chapter 12 is going to introduce the spiritual gifts and their function in the body. Chapter 13 talks about love, but some of us think it's about marriage or weddings and things like that, but it's actually about spiritual gifts. And then chapter 14 addresses specifically uh, the abuse of tongues. And in this chapter urges the church to pursue prophecy over tongues when you're in public, okay? So the main idea is this, if you're taking notes, this is the big thing I want you to get tonight. The Holy Spirit wants to give us spiritual gifts to strengthen both ourselves and strengthen other people, okay? It's the main idea. I'm going to pray as you write that down, and then we'll jump in. All right, Jesus, we just pray that you would be here among us tonight. So Spirit of God, we ask you to dwell with us as you already are, but to but to make yourself more apparent to us. I pray that we would sense your voice. I pray that you would give us spiritual gifts, that you would energize this body. God, I pray that this body would not be just a religious club, but instead a group of people who are inflamed by the Spirit, a group of people who are empowered by the Spirit. So God, we pray that you'd be with us now and that you would illuminate the scriptures to us as we unpack them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're starting in chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. So let's do this. It says, now there are are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, to, or to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another uh, the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to, an, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. All right, so the first point tonight is this. If you're taking notes from these verses, the Holy Spirit wants, or the Holy Spirit empowers us with a variety of spiritual gifts for the common good. So Paul makes a few important points about spiritual gifts. First, in verses 4 through 6, you see a clear reference to the Trinity, which is powerful. It's a clear reference to the Trinity. Paul says there's, or there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, so the Holy Spirit, a variety of service, but the same Lord, referring to Jesus, and a variety of activities, but the same God, so God the Father, who empowers them all and everyone. So Paul is trying to tell us something here. He's telling us that just as God is triune and diverse, he is also reflected in a diversity of ways 
in the spiritual gifts. So the first thing we see about spiritual gifts, and there'll be the, uh, this on the slide up here, is spiritual gifts are a reflection of God's diversity. That's the first thing we see here in verses 4 through 6. The spiritual gifts are a reflection of God's diversity. But he's also saying that these various gifts are given to us from God directly. So we can't give ourselves these gifts. We can't earn them. We can't you know, do enough good things to get these gifts. But God must give them to us. So the second thing we see about spiritual gifts is spiritual gifts are a gift from God. It cannot be earned. These cannot be earned. And then in verse 7, he tells us that these spiritual gifts are for the common good. These gifts are not given for our own indulgence. So I think sometimes, especially Holy Spirit people, want to get these gifts and just hang out in a church service 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And just kind of enjoy it, have fun with it. But God doesn't call us to just do that, to just enjoy these gifts, but he calls us, or calls us to use these gifts for the upbuilding of other people. Okay, so spiritual gifts are for the upbuilding of other people. But then in verses 8 through 10, it gets interesting. See, Paul takes some time to identify some of the gifts that were operating in the church. And I want to take a second just to identify these different gifts. We're not going to have time to unpack all of them, but I'm just going to explain each of them very quickly here. Okay, so the first one is a message of wisdom. And again, this is on the screen. So a message of wisdom. So this is a message of practical insight and, and guidance that's directed by the Holy Spirit. So maybe someone in and the body's going through something. Maybe Lauren's going through something. And I don't know it, but then God speaks to me and says, you need to tell Lauren this. And I tell Lauren something that's practical insight or wisdom, and it encourages her and shows her the way to go forward. So for me, I kind of received a, or a message of wisdom in that story. Now, it was an interpretation of tongues, but it was also a message of wisdom. It's telling me just to hold my horses and to rest and to trust God, right? Okay, so that's the first thing. It's a message of, or a message of wisdom. And the second thing is a or it's a message of knowledge. I think we get these confused sometimes, but the difference is, uh, so a, a message of wisdom's purpose is to, you know, give you practical advice about something, but the message of knowledge is more where the Holy Spirit reveals something to someone that they should not know, like something about your life, something about circumstances, something about biblical truth that they wouldn't know on their own, and he illuminates it to them. Its aim is usually to provide guidance to help confirm it, or confirm a decision, or to expose something that's important for a person's spiritual development. So maybe uh, there's something that happened in someone's past, and, and God shows you that that happened, and he wants you to go tell them, hey, you know, the Spirit told me this. Well, I think the Spirit told me this. That's how we want to say these things. We don't want to come in and say, thus saith the Lord. We say, I think the Spirit told me this. Is this true? And then the person breaks down because they see that God cares about them, God sees them, and then you pray for them, and that helps them find freedom from that uh, certain uh, situation. So that's kind of an example of a message of knowledge. Okay, the third thing is faith. And this is a special supernatural faith that can believe for impossible things. Now, I've seen certain people who operate in this. Like, uh, they need to raise a million dollars. And all of a sudden, they believe for it. And they just have this faith that's going to happen. And then all of a sudden, God does it. You know, things like that. Like, God just downloads supernatural faith that cannot be, or cannot be mustered up within our own selves. Okay. Uh, the fourth thing is gifts of healing. Now, here's something important to know is every Christian can heal in the name of Jesus, but there's some people who have a special grace when it comes to healing. They have a special ability almost. It seems like, uh, it seems like when they pray for people, they get healed more often. All right, so the fifth, the fifth one that Paul identifies is miraculous powers. Okay, so uh, we don't know as much about this one, but it, it's supernatural power that's used to change the course of nature. So, and it includes God's power over evil spirits, okay? 
So that's miraculous powers. Prophecy is similar to, or to a message of knowledge or wisdom, but the difference is it, it's a little more general, okay? So it, it's a special gift that gives someone the ability to deliver a message or a revelation uh, directly from God under the prompting of the Spirit. It's not like just simply telling the future. I think sometimes we view this as there's someone behind like this ball, you know, rubbing the ball. I think of Harry Potter 3, if you've seen that one, where she freaks out like, oh, but uh, it's not like that. That scares me so much every time in Harry Potter 3. But anyways, besides the point. But it's not like that. It's not just like telling the future. Instead, it's a message from God uh, uh, that's meant to encourage or challenge the body or challenge an individual or encourage an individual. Okay? A couple more. So distinguishing between spirits. So this is the ability to discern between an evil spirit and a holy spirit or just a human spirit. It's this ability to kind of see uh, what's going on under the surface. It's the... It's this ability to know what's really going on in the spirit realm. And then they're speaking in different kinds of tongues. So there's numerous kinds of tongues. There's the ability to speak in a, in a different human language that you don't know. So last week we saw this in Acts chapter 2. These people get baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they speak in tongues, and they're speaking, they're speaking the languages of the people who are there, but they didn't know the languages before. God gave them these languages. It'd be like if you started speaking French and you don't know French. Uh, so that's one kind of tongue. It's another kind of tongue is when you stand up, like I described at first, and you give uh, this message in tongues in public, and then someone else interprets it. And then yet a third kind of tongues is if you get baptized in the Holy Spirit and you receive a prayer language, but it's not a human language, it's uh, just an angelic language, okay? So Paul talks about uh, the languages of angels. We'll see that in chapter 13. So there's a few different kinds of tongues, and we'll talk about that uh, more in a second. But uh, then there's also interpretation of tongues, okay? So that's where you're interpreting tongues. It's, it's similar to prophecy. You're speaking for God, but the difference is you're interpreting a tongue. And it seems like Paul would rather have you just give the prophecy than worry about the tongues. If you read 1 Corinthians 14, he believed in tongues. He believed that you should speak in it when you receive it at spirit baptism. But it seems like he's not that interested in it because a lot of times if you're speaking in tongues, you know, people can't understand you. So why not just get right to the prophecy? That's what Paul seems to be saying. We'll look at that in a second. But I want to take a few moments to discuss tongues a little bit more. It's probably, it's probably the most controversial gift, I would say. Uh, it's important to remember as we discuss this that in chapters 12 through 14, like I said, Paul is addressing a specific situation. Paul is not saying, here is the doctrine of tongues. I'm going to give it to you now. Instead, Paul sees some excesses within the Corinthian church, and he's trying to fix those excesses. He's not giving us a systematic theology on tongues. So what we need to do as good readers of the word is read the whole New Testament and see the the whole council about tongues, and try to piece it together and see what is God saying about tongues, okay? So that's important to know. Uh, but uh, So last week, we talked about how when Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit, we get this ability to pray in a tongue as a prayer language between us and God, and it's to be prayed in private. It's not the same thing as when you stand up and speak in tongues it's in, and it's interpreted. We don't see any interpretation in the book of Acts when people speak in tongues. There's no interpretation. Instead, uh, or Jesus baptizes people in the Holy Spirit, and everyone speaks in tongues. There's no interpretation, okay? Uh, so we see this in Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 46. It says, while Peter was still saying these things, uh, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. There's no interpretation, right? Everybody seems to be speaking in tongues, all right? So that's what's happening here. And this is the kind of tongues that it is something that every Christian is given uh, when they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is talking about a different 
kind of tongues. They're, it's the same in essence, but it's a different purpose, okay? He's talking about the use of tongues where someone speaks in tongues and then it's interpreted in public. So the first kind of tongues I'm going to call private tongues, and the second kind of tongues I'm going to call public tongues. Okay, so referring to public tongues at the end of chapter 12, Paul says this. He says, now you are the body of Christ and individually, individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles and second prophets, third teachers, and then miracles, and then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Now this is important. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. He's not saying no, but that's the inference here. Uh, do all work miracles, and do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? And you're like, wait a minute. We talked last week about how, or how everyone can speak in tongues when they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. He says, do all speak with tongues, and do all interpret? And he says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. So the suggestion here is that all do not speak with tongues. And that's probably people's biggest trip up when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues afterwards. Like, hey, everyone's not supposed to speak in tongues. Paul says that right here in 1 Corinthians 12. But something that's important when you read the Holy Scriptures, again, is that you read them in context. That you don't read them as if it's a book that fell, or fell out of the sky. It's this perfect theology. I mean, it is perfect theology, but it's not like this perfect explanation of every single thing you need to know about God. Is there anything in here about birth control? No, there's not. Is there anything in here about a plethora of issues we talk about today? No, it was actually written in space and time. And we have to do our best to interpret it correctly, okay? So in this situation, Paul is talking about, they're talking about the gifts that are used in the church. He's saying, they're saying the body, or Paul's talking about the body, he's talking about how there's just a variety of gifts and how you use them to upbuild each other. And here's the question, when you speak in tongues privately, after you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, does that build anybody up? No, it builds you up. Is that something that's supposed to, or to be done to build up the body? No, it doesn't build anyone up but you. So the kind of tongues that Paul is talking about here when he says, or says, do all speak with tongues, is the kind that's spoken and then interpreted. He's dealing with public spiritual gifts. He's not talking about the private tongues. So in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, like I said at the beginning, Paul is doing a balancing act. He's seeking to limit public tongues and correct its abuses while not discouraging people to pray in their private prayer language. And you see this tension in chapter 14. We're going to come back to it later but I do want to read it right now. It says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, and the one who prophesies builds up the church. Get this. He says, Now I want you all to speak in tongues. Paul wants us all to speak in tongues. That's clear right here but even more to prophesy. So again, this is uh, within his conversation about the public use of spiritual gifts. I think what he's saying, now this is my opinion, smart people that know the Bible think differently, but this is what I think. I think what Paul is saying is, I want you all to speak in tongues like crazy when you're in private. Pray in tongues. Pray all the time. It builds you up. As you're speaking in tongues, it utters mysteries in the spirit. Pray in tongues. That's a gift that God has given you. But if you're in church, don't speak in tongues. Unless it's like a special occasion where you feel like you have a word for the body and it's going to be interpreted, just like I experienced in my opening story that I shared. All right, and then he says this. He says, it says, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. And then in verse 18, Paul says this, and I take this as a challenge. I take this as a challenge. He says this, I thank God 
that I speak in tongues more than all of you. I want to say, Paul, hey, I'm going to speak in tongues more than you. That's not going to happen, but I'm going to try, right? And then he says, nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So Paul explains that the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. So when you pray in your prayer language without an interpreter, it's just you and God communicating in the spirit realm. It builds you up. It doesn't build anyone else up. And Paul wants us all to speak in this. But then when it comes to the public gathering, he wants you to prophesy or only speak in tongues if you have an interpretation. Okay, so with that said, let's summarize this. Okay, so the first thing is private tongues. It's available to all. It's given at spirit or spirit baptism, it's a prayer language that builds you up. It's what Paul's talking about when he talks about uh, uttering mysteries in the spirit. In verse two, it's just between you and God. But then there's public tongues, and this is available to those who the spirit will. So for me, I speak in tongues almost every day, but I've never spoken tongues in public, at least out loud. Sometimes I you know, get a little crazy and speak in tongues a little bit under my breath, but I don't pray out loud in tongues. I don't say it out loud, all right? So that's me. But God wants to gift some people with that. It says it's available to those who the Spirit wills. It requires interpretation, and it builds up others, okay? So that's the difference. So I want to put that on the shelf. I just thought that was important because if you just got baptized in the Holy Spirit and you're praying in your prayer language, and then you read that, you know, do all speak with tongues, you might get confused. I think it's important to explain that to you and to understand, again, that, you know, that the Bible doesn't explain everything perfectly for us. Instead, we have to kind of put the pieces together, okay? Okay, so at this point, we'll put that on the shelf. But the thing you need to get from 1 Corinthians 12 is that God gives us a variety of spiritual gifts, and these reflect his diverse nature, and these gifts cannot be earned, and they're given for the building up of the body, all right? So now 1 Corinthians 13, it's everybody's favorite chapter who's never read the Bible, okay? So let's read it. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It says this, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but not, or have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, you know, it sounds like a super Christian, right? But have not love, I gain nothing. Okay, so why does Paul place this in the middle of his conversation about spiritual gifts? I'm glad you asked. The second question, or the second point is this. Uh, the use of spiritual gifts has to be driven by love. Spiritual gifts must always be driven by love. So both chapters 12 and 14 are devoted to instruction on how to use the spiritual gifts. And then sandwiched right between here is chapter 13. And this is the passage that says love is patient, love is kind. It's sandwiched right between the discussion of spiritual gifts. So the reason Paul does this is he believes that if you're going to use spiritual gifts, it's absolutely imperative that your motivator for using these are or is love. He says, love has to be your focus. So it's tempting if God gives you spiritual gifts to feel that you're more spiritual than your friends or feel like you're a better Christian than your friends or to take authority over others and say, thus saith the Lord. And then you can just say whatever you think over a person's life. It's tempting to do those things. It's tempting to show off your abilities. That's probably what was happening in Corinth. Like everyone's given prophetic words. Hey, hey girl back there, you better marry me. You know, God just said it. You know, just that kind of abuse is happening, I'm assuming. I've seen that before in campus ministry. But anyways, um, it's tempting when you get spiritual gifts to feel that you're more spiritual and to use them in such a way that it's not driven by love. So Paul says it's absolutely important that the love of Christ is what drives you to use spiritual gifts and that the love of Christ is 
But the love of Christ is what compels you to share words with people and encourage others because you want to help them get closer to Jesus. You don't want to flaunt your spirituality. Instead, you want to help them get closer to Christ. A great way to think about this is gift giving. All right, so Christmas is coming up. You're getting ready you know, for whatever gift your parents are going to give you or maybe a friend is going to give you. Maybe you're hoping for an engagement ring or something from your boyfriend. I don't know, but you're all thinking about gifts, maybe. Or maybe you're just thinking about classes. It is November, so Christmas is a little way off. But I have a point to why I'm saying this. Okay, so gift giving is fun, and receiving gifts are fun. But it's not very fun if it's not, or it's not done with the right motivation. So if someone gives you a gift, and I've had this happen to me, but if someone gives you a gift to help you out financially or maybe they just want or just want to give you a gift, but it's because they want to gain power over you or put you in their debt or make themselves feel better than you, then you're probably not going to want that gift. You know, like if your parents pay for all your bills, but then every time you do something they don't like, they're like, hey, I'm not going to pay for that anymore. It's not fun, is it? It's not very fun. You know, for me, as soon as I could pay my bills, I wanted to, not because my parents are bad. I love my parents, but I just didn't want to have that flaunted over me. I'd rather pay for my own bills. You know, so if a gift is given to you because someone wants to feel superior over you, or have power over you, then that's not the right motivation. But instead, if someone gives something to you because they love you and they want what's best for you and they want to encourage you, then it's amazing. It's the same way with spiritual gifts. We must not use our gifts in such a way to gain power over people or to show our superiority, but instead to use them in such a way where we seek to love others and encourage other people. And Paul says, he says, love is patient and love is kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but instead it rejoices with the truth. So when it comes to spiritual gifts, he's saying this. He's saying, use your spiritual gifts with patience, kindness, humility, gentleness, and out of the generosity of your heart. Okay, that's important. All right, so let's read the last little part here, and then we'll be done. So chapter 14, verse 1 through 5, he says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue uh, speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation, and the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. And now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more so to prophesy, because the one who, speaks, or the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church can be built up. The third and final point is this. Paul says we should earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy, all right? So we already looked at this passage a, a bit earlier to, dis, to discuss the importance of not abusing the public use of tongues and the importance of using gifts that build up the church. But I want to draw a couple more points from this. And the first is this. We should earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. We should earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So pastor and author Sam Storms, he says this about pursuing spiritual gifts in his book, Practicing the Power. He says, if we want to see the Spirit move, we must relentlessly seek Him. I believe that, that uh, one, of the reasons, or one of the reasons why spiritual gifts are less frequent in seasons of church history than in others is due to the fact that people did not seek, pursue, or passionately and incessantly pray for these gifts. Isn't that so true? Some of you grew up in churches that did not see spiritual gifts happen. I think sometimes we say, hey, why didn't God give them to us if he wants to give them to us? But Paul says, if you want to operate in spiritual gifts, you have to earnestly desire them. You can't just sit in here and be like, all right, I hope someday he gives me a spiritual gift. I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm not going to seek it. I'm not going to actually 
you know, try to use it when I get one. But I'm just going to sit here, and hopefully God gives me a spiritual gift. If he wants to give me a spiritual gift, he'll give it to me. That's what some of us do. But Paul says, if you want spiritual gifts, you have to earnestly seek it. So earnestly is a translation of, of a Greek word. It's a leo, is how you say it. It's a leo. And this means to literally, to burn with zeal and to be zealously sought after. So if you want spiritual gifts, you have to zealously seek them in prayer. And I think that goes for anything with God. If you want freedom from sin, you must earnestly seek God's heart. So many of us want to sit and be like, God, please give me everything I want. God, please help me. I'm not going to really seek you because I'm too busy, too tired. But God says, if you want to see incredible things happen in your life, if you want to see breakthrough in your friends' lives, then you have to seek me. Paul says, if you want spiritual gifts, specifically, you must earnestly or burn with zeal for them. And I got to be honest, I don't burn with zeal for spiritual gifts. I'm the first one who's guilty of this. I'm pretty content of where I'm at at times. But here's the thing that Paul says. He says, if we want to see the church built up, then we have to see spiritual gifts happening in the church. In most churches in America today, the spiritual gifts are not being operated in. But Paul is saying there's so much more for you if you earnestly desire these gifts. James 4.2 says this. He says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. And you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And you do not have because you do not ask. So Sam Storms, again, talking about this, says this. He says, I understand this verse to mean that God loves to be pursued. God loves to be asked repeatedly over and over without fear on our part uh, that we're nagging him or laboring it in unbelief. God is pleased to draw near and pour out his power and do wonderful, even miraculous things when his people persevere in prayer, asking again and 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 again that the Spirit work in people's hearts, bodies, souls, and minds. And the second thing that Paul tells us in, in, in 1 Corinthians 14 is not only to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, but to earnestly desire prophecy, because this gift builds up the church in a special way. So we talked about this a bit earlier, prophecy. What is it? It's essentially when you're given a message from God for another. It could be a word of wisdom. It could be a word of knowledge. It could be a word that speaks to someone's specific needs. And once again, Sam Storms, he's a beast. He says this. He says, prophecy is the human report of a divine revelation. Prophecy is speaking forth of something that God spontaneously brought to mind. So these prophetic messages from God can be in the form of dreams or visions or impressions on your heart, like you just feel something strongly from the Holy Spirit, or internal audible voices, or sympathetic pain. Sometimes people will heal others when they, or for instance, they'll feel like some pain in their knee, and they'll come up and they'll say, hey, I'm feeling some pain in my knee. Does someone have pain in their knee tonight? And then they'll pray for them to be healed, and they'll be healed. So God gives prophetic words in a number of different ways. He's not limited by our perspective or by other things we're used to. God can speak in a number of different ways. But Paul believed we need to operate in this gift if we're going to be all that God calls us to be as a community. We need to hear these messages from him and share them with others so that the church or so that Chi Alpha or so that the community can be built up. So I'm greatly encouraged about this right now because I've been praying that God would unleash this gift on our community. And I uh, met with a girl last week. I won't say her name for sake of confidence. But there's a girl in our community who's been operating in this. And it's, it, it's not something that she like, like feels like she earned. She's not any more spiritual than anybody else. But God has, has just been dropping things in her heart. Uh, she'll get like an impression from God and she'll start just 
or just drawing what he's saying. And then she'll get a name for somebody. Or get a name. And she'll go and say, hey, I got this picture and I got your name. Is this, or does this speak to you? And God is breaking chains through this. People are being built up through this. Like every single prophetic word she shared with me is like right from the Holy Spirit. It's right on. She, I'm not sure if she's missed yet. I'm not saying that to you know, toot her horn. It's all the Holy Spirit. But I'm encouraged because God still gives the prophetic today. God still gives messages for people today. But I think, I think we're too busy. I think our lives are too loud. There's too much noise. We're always on our news feeds. We're always scrolling our phones. I think we're never silent. And I think mostly we're not really seeking spiritual gifts. And that's why we're not seeing it as much as we should. But I believe this, that the thing that God is doing in that specific student, I think he wants to unleash it in everybody. I believe God wants to raise up prophets in this place. In the book of Numbers, you know, if you've heard the story of the Old Testament, uh, the prophet Moses leads uh, the Israelites out of Egypt, and they wander around in the desert for 40 years, and, and they're given the law and all these different things. And in the book of Numbers, God pours out his spirit, and a number of different people begin to prophesy. They begin to, or, or to give messages for each other. And Moses says, I wish that God would do this all the time. Now today, we live in the age of the Spirit. We live in the time when God does this all the time. He can do this all the time. The Holy Spirit has come. He's living in our hearts. But the thing, the thing is, we're not seeing it happen as much as we should. So I think it goes back to verse 1. We're not earnestly desiring the spiritual gifts. So what does this look like? What does it look like to pursue these gifts? I just want to share a few things. The first thing is it starts with prayer. Okay, So you have to start asking. You have to start seeking and knocking. But then when you feel like you've gotten something, like you feel like, okay, maybe God gave me something. You can't just sit on it, okay? You have to act out in faith. And maybe you'll be wrong, okay? I've been wrong a number of times. Like, you might be wrong. But the only way you're going to be able to grow in this gift is if you step out in faith. So maybe you feel like a certain impression, and you come to me during service, which I'm open to this, so you can do this if you're getting words from God. I might tell you no if I don't think it's from God, but you come to me and you say, hey, I think this is from God. Can I share with the body? And if it uh, lines up with Scripture, if I think it's encouraging then I'll let you share it. And maybe it'll encourage someone, maybe it won't. But the point is you have to begin to step out. And as you step out in this, it's just like working out. Like if you do curls every other day for six months, I think your biceps will get bigger at some point, right? So for this, you have to start stepping out in faith. You can't just sit in the boat, so to speak. You know, when Peter got out of the boat and he walked on water, if he didn't get out of the boat, he wouldn't have walked on water, right? So to exercise these gifts, we need to start stepping out in faith when we believe that God has given us a gift. So, for example, if you want the gift of healing, begin praying for everyone you see with a cast to get healed. Just say, I'm going to pray for everyone I see with a cast to get healed. And God may not do it, and that's okay, because it's not about me. It's about God, right? It's about that person. But begin to do that. If you want uh, the gift of discernment, then ask God to begin giving you discernment. If you want faith, ask God for the ability to believe for the impossible. And in regards to exercising prophecy specifically, it starts with seeking God's heart, and then you have to step out in faith, as I said. But I do want to give you a, just two or three guidelines here about prophecy, okay? The first thing is a revelation should, or should be consistent with Scripture, okay? So if you come to me and say, hey, God has said that it's okay for us to steal. God has told me a new thing. We can go rob a bank right now. I'm going to say, no, that doesn't line up with Scripture, right? So it must line up with Scripture. I think most of us know that who are Christians here, but uh, the Scripture is our final authority, right? So nothing can contradict Scripture. It has to line up with it. All right, the second thing is if you share these revelations, it has to be done in a spirit of humility, 
okay? A spirit of humility, not with pride, thus saith the Lord. No, instead you say, I think God's telling me this, okay? And then you have to subject it to the sifting or the testing of other people. Okay, so maybe in small group you get a word from God and you share it. And the small group takes a second to test it, to sift it and say, oh, I'm not sure. Or maybe they say, yeah, that sounds like, it's, it sounds like it's from the Lord. Or maybe you come up at Kai Alpha and share it with me and I say, hey, I just don't feel like that's from God or I don't feel like it's for tonight. Or Paul later, he actually limits prophecy uh, to two or three times in, in one gathering. So maybe I'll say, hey, we've already had three prophetic words tonight. We're going to just or sit on that one for next week. Okay, so you have to have humility. You have to subject it to the evaluation of others, okay? In 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21, it says, do not quench the spirit and do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good. Test everything, okay? Test everything, hold fast to what is good. Okay, that's what we do with prophecy. And then in, in 1 Corinthians 14 again, he says, he says that two or three prophets speak, so I just shared that, and let the others weigh what is said. Okay, so we weigh what is said. If a, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. Okay, so you share it and then you sit down. Say, you know, think about it for a second. So no, like this isn't pressure. This isn't people yelling at each other. This is from God. It's just people chilling. They're like, okay, I'm gonna think about this for a second. And then Paul says, for you can all prophesy one by one so that you all may learn and be encouraged. So think about if this happened in your small groups. Like you come together and you're like, okay, we're gonna read the word of God. We're gonna study it, but also we're gonna encourage each other from the Holy Spirit. Think about if you guys would do this. It would be powerful. It'd be incredible. You could sit there and say, is that from God or is it not? All right, so then um, it, and it says, for you all can prophesy one by one. And then in verse 32, it says, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Okay, so you subject yourselves to each other. You don't just say, I have authority over all of you. Instead, you challenge each other, you test it, you sift it. All right, so the third thing you need to get about prophetic words is that revelation should be encouraging. Okay, so in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So notice he doesn't say, the one who prophesies tells everyone else what they're doing wrong. He doesn't say the one who prophesies is the spiritual master of the group and is speaking for God. He just says that you're right connected with heaven and he just is going up on the mountain. He's hearing from God. He's coming back down saying, you all stink. No, Paul is saying it's encouragement. It's upbuilding. It's consolation. So typically when you share a prophetic word, it's going to be positive. Okay, typically, it might be, it could seem more negative, but in the end, it should be encouraging, okay? So it's not going to be something that, that makes another feel condemned. It's not going to be something that judges someone else. Instead, it's going to be encouraging. It's going to be positive. It's going to bring life to them. I think of every time I've gotten a prophetic word, it feels like life just gets shut up in my bones. Like, it's like I just get a fresh energy from God because I heard from Jesus, and he wants to encourage me. So that's a key thing, all right? So don't start walking around convicting everyone of their sin. Like, I heard you're doing this. I heard you're doing this. Like you're like, hey, I know that you lusted yesterday. Well, you know, most people struggle with that. So if you got that one right, I don't know if that's the Holy Spirit just you being, you know, wisdom, or having wisdom, right? So we're not going to do that. Instead, we're going to encourage one another, okay? All right, so the main idea tonight, again, is this. And I know this is more teaching. It's not as like rah-rah, but I think this is important for us to be the community that God has called us to be. Okay, so the main idea is the Holy Spirit wants to, or to give us spiritual gifts to strengthen both ourselves and to strengthen other people, okay? The Holy Spirit wants to give you spiritual gifts. Even those of you who feel like, ah, oh, I'm not spiritual. Ah, oh, I'm not as good of a Christian as my small group leader. The Holy Spirit wants to speak through you. In the Old Testament, God spoke through a donkey. A donkey spoke out loud in a human language. 
If he can speak through a donkey, he can speak through you. All right? That gives me hope every time I come up here to preach. I'm like, if you can speak through that donkey, I think you might be able to speak through me tonight. So God can speak through you. And, I, and something I've noticed with prophets is a lot of times people who operate in this are people who are a little more outcast, it seems like. People who are a little bit weirder, you know? I don't know what it is. I'm not saying that student who's operating is weird. So like she's in this room. I'm not saying you're weird. But I'm saying that God loves to work through people who seem weak. So tonight, if you come in here and you feel weak, you feel like I have too much sin, I have too much, tr- or too much struggles in my life, I just want to encourage you, God wants to use you too. God wants to speak through you. The only one who can speak for God is not your small group leader, okay? It's not me. I'm not the only one who can talk to God. God can speak through you. And God wants to use you to encourage our community and encourage our campus. Like, think about if you walked on campus and you saw someone and God revealed things to you about that person, revealed things that would encourage that person. And you go up to that person, perhaps maybe they had a struggle with their dad growing up. And you go up to them and say, hey, God just spoke to me today. And I think he's telling me that you had a struggle with your dad and you need to forgive him. Think about if that happened. What would happen to that person? Their life would be completely changed. And they would know that God sees them. And I really think that's the point of spiritual gifts altogether is to is for God to show that he sees us and that he wants to speak to us and he wants to encourage us. But it starts with us actually seeking these gifts. So I want to encourage us tonight as we head to Thanksgiving break, as we you know, take a break from school and all that kind of stuff, I want to encourage you to begin to seek God's heart and say, God, or God, what do you want to do through me? God, how might you empower me tonight? So if you're here tonight, and if you came in here and, and all this is pretty new to you it's kind of weird like tongues is weird we can be honest that's weird all right it's not normal this is weird for you i just want to encourage you that it's a journey okay it's not like figuring it all out tonight you don't have to figure everything out tonight it's a journey hey can we bring down like the worship music or whatever's doing that thank you ryan so i just want to encourage you that like it's a journey you don't have to figure it out tonight so i'm not going to come up to you right now and be like lauren i'm picking on you tonight prophesy I'm not going to do that, but instead, God wants you to go on a journey with him. Okay, so just say, God, I'm open, and begin to seek his heart. Begin to say, God, what might you want to say to me? God, what might you want to do through me? Or maybe you're here tonight, and, and you've been operating in some spiritual power, like you've seen God do wonderful things through you. I want to encourage you tonight uh, with 1 Corinthians 13. Don't forget why we do things. Don't forget why we use spiritual gifts. Don't forget why we lead small groups on campus. Don't forget why you preach. Don't forget why you pray people to be healed. You do these things, not for your own good and not to make yourself look good, but instead you do these things because you love people, because you want to encourage people. So maybe you're feeling tired tonight. Maybe you've been encouraging people. Maybe you've been uh, just operating in spiritual power. And tonight God wants to take you back to the reason why you signed up for that. And that's because you love people and you want to encourage people, okay? And then the last group I want to speak to tonight is this. Maybe you're here and you're not even a Christian and you happen to come on this night. You're like, God, what are you doing? Did I just find a cult or some weird group? I promise you we're not a cult. We love you. Uh, But I want to encourage you tonight with this, okay? Start with a friendship with God, okay? So I'm not asking you to speak in tongues right now. I'm not asking you... uh, to begin doing these things, I just want you to consider Jesus. To consider the fact that God has come in the Holy Spirit and he wants to have friendship or friendship with you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to walk with you. 
and he wants to point you to Jesus. Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit has not come just to glorify himself. He's come to glorify Jesus. He's come to draw us closer to Jesus. And who is this Jesus? Who is he? Jesus is God, right? He spent all of eternity with God the Father and God the Spirit. And Jesus chose to come as a human. And Jesus lived a perfect life. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned. And that's hard. We know that. And then he, and, and not only that, Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, just as Derek shared so beautifully before. Jesus paid it all for us. So now when you sin and you struggle and you mess up, instead of looking at yourself and saying, I have not obeyed the law, I have not been able to measure up to God, instead of that and feeling condemned, instead you look to Jesus and say, Jesus paid my penalty. Jesus paid for that on the cross. And that gives you the courage to get back up, to keep pursuing God. But not only that, Jesus didn't just die on the cross, but he rose from the grave. He died and then he rose. In the middle of history, Jesus Christ rose. He defeated death, sin, hell, and the grave. And now it says, all who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead, those ones will be saved. John 16 says this. We started with this passage. We're going to end with it in this series. It says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but instead whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. This is Jesus speaking, okay? And he says, he will glorify me. The Spirit's going to glorify Jesus, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit's primary job is to bring you closer to Jesus. So I pray that this community would not get caught up in all the charades and all the craziness. Although we want to use spiritual gifts, we want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But I pray that as a community, we would understand that the Spirit draws us closer to Jesus, okay? He glorifies Jesus. So if you'd stand with me, we're going to close with that.